Hello and welcome to the Super Rugby Round 2 review brought to you by Driving Mall. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall, and I'm going to be behind the scenes this evening because you know what? I'm going to hand over the reins to Steve, who is going to guide you through all this with his mate Shane from Australia. So um, I will hand over to those boys and I will be in the chat, live chat. So join me for a live chat in the live chat while they uh, discuss the games. All over to you, Steve. Thank you very much, sir. Good to be here again. Uh, thanks for joining us, Shane. Last week thanks, buddy. was was an interesting week of Super Rugby. Now we've got round two. And boy, um, the competition really has stepped up again, hasn't it? We've got, of course, the seven games to go through. We'll be kicking off in order of how they happened. Rebels are on the bye, so we had nothing from those guys. They stay undefeated. But we all kick things off with the Highlanders. Interesting, because it's, it's effectively my team. Up against the Reds, who, I mean... If anyone can't guess, there's just a little bit of red going on on your uniform there. Uh, they kicked off round two, and I mean, this game, many were a bit expectant of what the Reds could turn up with, and boy, they turned up with some electric play, didn't they? Both sides played with a very similar style throughout the first half of the game. Um, a lot of attacking play, a lot of attacking intent, a lot of excitement as well by Reds team, who were in their first game of uh, 2019. I felt throughout the first half, the Hollanders probably looked a bit aside, dominating the game for large periods. But um, a lot of tries. We've seen three tries coming from the Highlanders. Rob Thompson, Shannon Frizzell, Ben Smith, split up by a corker by Chris Fiali Sortier for the Reds. And I think most people will be happy about this game is that what the Reds showed with their young guns in this team. Brad Thorne ruling with that Thorne fist uh, for his young guns, bringing this team in. Great pack. We knew about the Reds' pack. It was tough. It was strong. They carried well. Um, but what really was surprising was their fitness, I think, was the big part throughout this match. They scored a try late in the first half uh, through Sorovi as well. Uh, both their tries coming from great open play to give them not the lead at halftime, but they trailed pretty closely 24-17 to the Highlanders. But the Highlanders were the better team out of the block. Shannon Frizzell picking up his second try. Uh, quick ball. And the defence for the Reds not picking up quick enough. The Reds hit back. Probably what many would consider one of the most electric passages of play end-to-end. Uh, Highlanders with a chance to score first. The Reds classically put it back and then finished with a great offload to Isaac Rodder, who I think is um, probably deserves a bit of a few props of what he's been going through for the last week. And that gave the game real life. 29-24 to the Highlanders. Ben Smith error gives the Reds a real good chance in the 22 later on in the game. They keep it nicely in their forwards. And Futuaki, Futuaki, Futuaka, Futuaki. I'm going to go Futuaka. Scores for the Reds and puts them in front. I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear what you think, but I'm shocked that the Reds are in front in this stage of the game. But we seen last week what the Highlanders could do. 73rd minute, late try, yet again. Hunt scoring off an absolutely superb Fattest break. The Reds' defence, you've got to give them credit, was determined to the bitter end. Hamilton went close. The Highlanders recycled well. They put it out wide quickly and got that critical try at the end. The Reds tried desperately hard to put it away, but in the end couldn't do enough. And full-time was 36-31. Highlanders with the victory. That was a breathtaking game, Shane. What did you make of your side? Uh, look, I think, um, I think people know around the world how I felt I was really proud and made sure I put the jumper on today because uh, 
As people could see the koala on the Reds jumper, well, that koala turned from a placid koala to a really angry koala. Uh, he's had enough of um, turning up and being mediocre for five years. He's ready to fight. And what I saw was a young, keen red side, um, as well as some brilliance from um, 1B Smith from the Highlanders. And uh, I thought Thompson went up played pretty well um, before he went off injured, which I was really disappointed because I like the way Rob Thompson plays. He's, he should be at all, an all-black of the future. Um, be cool, I know. But, um, look, what we saw was the Reds are hungry. <laughs> they're hungry, and they're hungry to, to turn up and play some rugby this year. Um, and there was... There was motivation being the first game of the year. Um, obviously, Highlanders and Reds games are pretty close, so you're going to expect um, some some entertaining, fast rugby. Um, you know, I thought Karebi, Karebi stood up very well. Um, I thought the, the Queensland Fords stood up, and you got to... But at the end of the day, uh, you got to finish sides off and... The Highlanders, they, they remained patient towards the end and, um, you know, they, they got the result and, and good on them. Four points and we'll take a bonus point out of that game and some, some learning for some, you know, some something to learn from for the next week. It was a great well, game. Personally, I think from a Reds point of view, you can take a lot more than just a bonus point. Um, we knew how good the Reds pack was last season. Uh, they've built on that, although they've got now backline players. You mentioned Krevi, um, Jordan Pattaya, a young guy. A lot of speaking about him throughout the week as well. He was amazing for them. Uh, young, they're fearless, they're impressive, and uh, they, they went there to win. And uh, that's the difference. They don't have that fear of losing with a lot of those guys because they're, they're new to the Super Rugby scene, and they don't know what that's like. Um, again, I, I think Isaac Rotter... Uh, huge props to him again Absolutely. what he's gone through over the week with his old man passing away so to, to step up and you know to lead his team like he did was just huge um, so I was really impressed with the Reds I thought the one thing you'd be critical was uh, the aimless kicking probably cost them a little too much yeah. Ben Smith read them uh, anytime they're clearing the lines pretty easily although I don't think he had his best game he definitely positionally Ben Smith is a machine um, and yeah like you said Rob Thompson Matt Faddis you replaced one with one both those guys uh, were amazing for the Highlanders. But that was a, a electric start, start off the weekend um, for the Reds and the Highlanders. And I think they're going to be hard to pick uh, next week and every single week now if the Reds playing uh, that sort of way. That was our game one out of the way. Things didn't really get any easier to, to pick from as well. If the Sun was up against the Waratahs, many thought this would be a bit of a thrashing, uh, especially after what the Sun was put in in round one. Uh, pretty mistake ridden early start of the first half, the Sunwolves scored first through an intercept try, and Vanden Hever, this guy is fast, he is super fast, and he was huge for the Sunwolves in this game, scoring their opening try for an intercept, there was a lot of intercepts in the opening passage, the Tars hit straight back through very much a similar sort of play, a terrible little, was it a chip, was it a grubber, it was a nothing, it was straight to the breadbasket, um, for gold, currently Beal from their own 22. It was a silly sort of play, and that gave the Waratahs straight back into the match to tie things up. What surprised me about this game for the Waratahs is how well their scrum performed, 
and they actually dominated the Waratah scrum multiple times throughout the game, um, which is great to see uh, a team like the Sunwolves could actually step it up in that area. Israel Flower jumped in uh, with a double midway through the half to swing things away from the Sunwolves and take the lead up to 17 points to 10 for the Waratahs. That changed the game, and at that point, with what we've seen from the season, you probably expect that the Sunwolves were done, um, but luckily so, that wasn't the case. Bernard Fowler's kicking boots weren't that great in the first half. He was only one from three. Um, and I mean, for an Australian fan, probably got to be questions asked about that as well. The game opened up at the end of the half. Both sides had a pretty good opportunity to score. Um, but the Sunwolves were the ones that did Tom Rowe scoring off short ball from the impressive Nakamura for the Sunwolves. And we went into half time with a score at 20 points to 17. The Sunwolves actually, with that try, nicking the lead off the Waratahs, and it was all on for young and old at that point. The Sunwolves' defence, I thought, really picked up. They were reading the Waratahs' plays well. They were shutting them off before they ever knew what they were playing, and um, they looked good to stay in this matchup. The, the Waratahs, though, never won to give up, as we've seen last season, and eventually scored the try back through Dempsey to give themselves back the lead as we went into the final passage of the game. Uh, the Waratahs in the area, really attacking the line, and um, with a yellow card to Luke Thompson, they got themselves a penalty try. And that, you thought, maybe it yet again. But no, Thunder Heaver was back again in the speed, skinning Israel Flower, which I thought was a highlight of the match. Unpredictable build-up, really giving the Sunwolves a point of difference. And they played right to the bitter end. One point behind, a drop goal attempt from Hayden Parker was probably the worst we've seen in a long time. Not quite enough for the Sunwolves. They fell one agonizing point short of the Waratahs of what would have been one of their best victories if they got it. Yeah, look, the Sunwolves were outstanding, the better side, by far. And well done to them. They didn't win, but well done on having a really decent crack against a heavyweight of Australian rugby. Um, I thought Hayden Parker was magnificent. I thought Shane Gates, the 13, I think, for the Sunwolves, um, Every time he got the ball, he made, um, you know, a half chance or a line break. He was outstanding. Um, the, there's also there's also a great saying that we have in Australia, um, and you know, it happened to be my my local team Pirates. We won a grand final by a point. We still proved that point, um, and um, well, the Waratahs have got to prove a bit more. Than a point next week, um, but but what I will say about this game is that despite the Waratahs' lucky win, I thought it was good to see Jack Dempsey back on the park after a year away from injury. It was really good to see Israel Folau get a double and get get some early tries for the season. It was really good to see. Um, uh, Sakopi Kepu makes some big runs. Um, it was good to see Tolu Latu come off the bench um, and do some things. That's another talking point of this game because he's um, been cited for foul play. So, um, and and really, I think the Waratahs were lucky to win. Um, you know, had there not been an offside and that drop goal go over, we would have been talking about a, a Sunwolves win and the Tars would have been limping back to Sydney. They're still limping back to Sydney, but they've got four <laughs> points in the bag. Oh, it would have been a great sight, wouldn't it, the Sunwolves could have pulled that off. But still, 
to just be one point short, they'll take, like you see with the Reds, they'll take a point, but they'll take much more than that with confidence in the way that they played as well with that team against the Waratahs in, in their own conference as well. So that was match two, done and dusted. We move on to what was, well, it was predicted to be the big one of the round, the Crusaders versus the Hurricanes, and promised a lot. But from the very start, it was one-way traffic. It was all Crusaders throughout it. Scott Barrett scored, Richie Moanga scored, Talfua scored, and Moanga scored again all in the first half. And it was a pretty big destruction of an average, error-ridden, position and territory-starved, set-piece crushed Highlanders. The Crusaders were fantastic, though. Everything come their way. Mateli's offloads, really the highlight for that team. But this, you, you can't fault in seeing their plays like they did. And to lead 24-0 at halftime, the Crusaders, you can sum it up in one word, and that was clinical. They were just at their very best. And you, you look at the guys who are not even playing as well, uh, what they can do. They went into the second half, and the pain just got worse for the Hurricanes. Scott Barrett cross early to make the pain even worse, 31 to nil. Before finally we've seen some sort of glory to the Hurricanes, Ben Lamb rolling back the clock to 2018 to score the Hurricanes' first try. The Canes then got a bit of ball, they got a bit of time in the red zone of the Crusaders, and Wes Hurson jumped over in the corner to give them their second try, and all of a sudden it was looking like this Hurricane side might be able to do something, 31 to 10 at that point, but you can't discount this Crusaders team and at will they can switch it back they play a line out set piece move works perfectly bamboozling, bamboozling the defense and a bridge crashes over and the points just keep on piling up some of the old canes were still there though there was a bit of life for them they didn't give up at all Garden Bishop carved through supported well for Lamape and Lamb chips over for his second try Jordy Barrett even tried to hurry up the case for the canes putting over a little drop goal conversion that was abysmally white 38-15 the score was. The Crusaders were cruising. They picked up a yellow card. Team yellow for Hunt. Um, but it just wasn't enough for the Hurricanes to get back. Piranara in uh, the 83rd minute. A late flurry for the Hurricanes. Denying, well, probably the most important thing for this match, the Crusaders a bonus point. Full time was 38-22. Scoreline, you probably say, flattering the Hurricanes on this one. It does flatter the Hurricanes. <laughs> But if I could, uh, if I was the Crusaders coach at full time, I would not be happy letting in some late tries. I'd be throwing teacups. I think, well, you can't slacken off like that. And the discipline was pathetic in the second half. Their first half was absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and when they raced up to 31 nil, yes, the game was over. Um, uh, you know... It was um, it was quite qu- quite fast as a New Zealand derby's are. It wasn't the best derby I've ever watched. Um, that will come later as teams get fitter and even more expansive in their play. Uh, but you know the Crusaders just keep marching on, and uh, yeah, I think we know who our favourites are. <laughs> the thing is with the Crusaders is you can't play catch up rugby against them. You can't give up a lead like that and expect to to, to run your way back in. Uh, the Hurricane set piece was poor. The tackling in the first half was 64%. Um, they gave away 13 offloads to the Crusaders. Guys like Mataheli and Goodhue were just out of this world. Uh, killing it. Try assist of the season. That offload on his head upside down, breaking his own neck. That was one of the best tries you'll ever see, or try assists you'll ever see um, by the Crusaders. But too good 
And, well, promised a lot. Delivered just a dominant display for the Crusaders, winning that one for round two. Paul! And we, 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 we interrupt money. you for an advert break. So, this weekend, on Sunday, we'll be live at the White Matter Rugby Club, bringing you a brunch um, watch party. Uh, so, come and join us at 10.40 on Sunday uh, for the Haguaris versus the Blues. We have um, our, uh, Rony Clark uh, as our uh, um, superstar interview. Uh, myself, Arshwin, and Stephen Harris, not Steve, who's on here now, will be there giving you our pre-match, half-time, and full-time um, match report. So, um, head over to Ant Driving Mall on Twitter. Look at my twit pinned tweet. You can get a ticket for just $25 and that includes your breakfast brunch. Your normal programming resumes. Breakfast brunch sounds quite good. We'll have to go for, for yeah. a breakfast. Right, we'll continue on. We've still got a few games to go. Brumbies versus the Chiefs. Now, I'm sure you've got a lot to say about this one, uh, Shane, so I'm not going to hold you up too much. We'll have a quick run through of what happened. Um, many expect the Chiefs are going to do well in this game, but that didn't turn out. Anywhere near what they expected. Um, the best the Chiefs could offer from the opening stands of the match was the penalty that gave them a 3-0 lead. But after that, it was pretty much all Brumbies. Um, Kurandrani, Kurandrani charged over for their first try. And then Tom Banks, uh, outstanding ball from Christian Lealiafano. Inside pass, it just split the defence into absolute ribbons. And the Brumbies are up 14-3. And they didn't stop there. Chance Penny picked up next. He scored after 20 minutes. And the Chiefs, they didn't get anything to celebrate to after that when they scored their first try. But it wasn't over there. That was just a stoppage, an interlude, as it was, like a, the ad break we just had. As the Brumbies carried on, scoring twice more in the last four minutes before halftime. McCaffrey and Fianga scoring a couple for the forwards. And, I mean, this must like the Crusaders game. 33-10 at halftime. Brumbies well intruding in control. Chiefs have hardly touched the ball, and they were effectively out of this game. They had to start well if they are going to get back to the game. They didn't. They really didn't. And after 51, Penny was in for a second try, and the Brumbies were continuing on. Lenny Fano, absolutely superb, breaking on the short side. Support was there, and they just looked like they could do no wrong. Takeaho got one back for the Chiefs on the hour mark, and that was about all they had to celebrate in the second half, because into the last 10 minutes, the Brumbies nailed that hammer on the coffin of the Chiefs. Uh, the bench come on, and they just lifted the team even more. Hawera and Kurandrani scoring in the last 10 to absolutely blitz the Chiefs. Scoreline, it's still astounding. 54-17. The Chiefs just far from their best in their game. Yeah, uh, and it gave Australia rugby its first win over a New Zealand rugby side for this year, and uh, hopefully not the last. Um, the horse bolted. The, oh, no. the horse bolted, and it bolted pretty quickly, and, <laughs> and racking up 33 points at half time and getting on with the job afterwards. Um it was it was a bit like three years ago when they beat the Hurricanes fifty two to ten in the first round, um, which um, it was a very similar feel that that night, um, and you know it was was the start of the Brumbies winning that conference, if you if you will. So the uh, the question from the live chat though: Are the Brumbies good or are the Chiefs just bad? Oh dear. Well, you can take that a couple of ways because, you know, are, are the Brumbies good? Are the Rebels great in that case? Or, you know, was it just a, a bad night for the Chiefs that made the Brumbies look outstanding? I, I put that whole game 
the dominance of that I put down to a good pack performance, yes, but Christian Liliofano, I, I raved about him for a while after that match, his, his commanding play of that whole team, forwards and backs, but the way that he just led that side forward, he, he was just the difference to me. Well, I think all the Brumbies backs uh, can certainly hand it to him and Joe Powell and Harrell when he came off the bench. Um, I still think, you know, Liliafano should be at 12 and Harrell were at 10. Uh, give the boy from Southland a bit more of a go. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, you know, look, it was a bad night for the Chiefs. I think they'll have a good night against the Sunwolves on Saturday night. Um, so I think they'll bounce back pretty quickly. Um, I missed the Chiefs' angle running that they did in years past where you run, where you mark mark the pitch and angles and they just grind and grind up the middle with their mobile forwards. And the other thing I'd like to say uh, for the Chiefs is congratulations to Brodie Retallick. 100 caps for the Chiefs. You are a superstar. Um, it wasn't your night, brother, but, um, you know, 100 caps is a huge ask in any super rugby club and and all the best for the future. Yep, a huge achievement for uh, Big Brody uh, to pick up 100 games. Um, just finally on that last, on that match, a few stats that stood out to me. Um, first time that the Brumbies scored 33 points in the first half since 04. That's a long time ago. Um, the stats half time, I said Chiefs 36% of the ball, but the line breaks, Brumbies 6, Chiefs 1, um, 23 missed tackles throughout the match, 15 clean line breaks throughout the game for the Brumbies, just two by the Chiefs, and of course, eight tries to two. Uh, monumental. Uh, amazing. And like I said on Twitter after that game as well, the Chiefs starved the ball, but I just think the Brumbies were just that good. I think the Brumbies played their best game. They just outperformed what the Chiefs had to offer in that matchup. We'll make our way over to South Africa, though. Next match, uh, the Sharks versus the Blues. Oh, Paul, you're all Blues. What's going on, my friend? I, I did enjoy watching this matchup because Mark is all in my pimpy. The original king is absolutely killing it at the moment with the Sharks. And he scored, one of, I think, one of the greatest tries of the rounds. Um, a little grubber, a little chip over the top. Just burned through the defence, uh, re-wins the ball, and that was all coming off a turned-over Blues line-out. So turning the set-piece into a mistake, making a break, and the speed and power to charge on through the score that opening try, I think, was one of the great tries from this round. We had a few of them as well. And um, from that, confidence with the Sharks. They got a bit of territory, and the Sharks turned to where they can really dominate a game. And against the Blues... They did it pretty well, too. The forwards completely dominating that game. The driving ball, too much for the Blues. And Aka van der Merwe scored their second try. And within 15 minutes, the Blues were down 12 to zip. Minutes for halftime, the forwards were pounding the Blues, and they were keeping it tight. And it was too much, really. The defense was drawn in, and Robert Dupreer was the benefactor as the ball finally went out to the backs, and he is a bit of a slippery customer if he decides to run it, and the Sharks were just cruising. Cruising, 19-0, the Blues had nothing to offer in the first half of the game. As the game kicked into the second half, though, I did want to give special mention to what could have possibly been the second great try of this match, uh, Kermit Bosch and Mpimpi possibly could have scored try of the round in their own 22, a crossfield kick, caught, chipped over the defensive line, regathered, overlapped, and should have been a great runaway try for Mpimpi, but he threw it straight to touch. And I thought, if you haven't seen that great try, it was just after half time. 
um, 60 meter little passage was a real excitement machine from the Sharks. But on to what actually happened. The 20 minutes first in the second half, both sides had many chances. They blew them all. And um, finally, the Blues did get a little bit go their way, a bit of width. And it was new man on debut, Tilia, scoring their first try. Um, and as the match wore on, there was really nothing more the Blues could celebrate. The Sharks got dished out a yellow card for cynical play in the ruck near the final 10 minutes. And amazingly, the Blues couldn't even score then. And as the match wore down, Carol Bosch, who was pretty instrumental in that game for the Sharks, intercepted on his own 22, ran all the way down the field, just closed the game, completely shut, 26-7. The Blues look terrible out of New Zealand. Yeah, it's, you know, you're singing the, aren't you? You don't need to know the last word. <laughs> it's, it's... It's a great country music song, though. But the 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 sad it's that was a winnable game, I feel, and I think that after last week's performance, where they really pushed the Crusaders and nearly won it, to see that the next week is very disappointing. You know, as I'd like to say, there was more sharks on the on the field than there were on the Great Australian Bite. They were all swarming the Blues. They were they were they were mauling them, and in defence, and you know, four great tries get suddenly the, the extra bonus point. And uh, I don't think you can say too much more than that because it, it's the Blues. Are, you know. They got another crack next week in Argentina, and I hope to see a little bit better. They had all the chances, didn't they? The Blues they had 60, 66% of possession. They had 28 defenders beaten, but they didn't turn them into clean breaks, which they lost 14-6. to six. So when you beat that many defenders but don't make many breaks out of it, it's there's something going wrong. consistency, doesn't it? Yeah, the structure, the breakdown, something's going wrong there for the Blues who, who should have threatened a lot more than they actually did. But uh, that's, that's a pretty poor loss, like I say, especially after last week. Uh, versus the Crusaders. A couple of games left to go. We'll move uh, back into South Africa. Well, still in South Africa, I should say. The Stormers up against the Lions. And, I mean, this one really did stun pretty much anyone who, who was picking or betting or anything like that. But what I thought I did, I'm surprised I didn't see more of, was the kick clash. I mean, oh, this is normally people rave about the kick clashes, but, my goodness, these um, superhero kits, who would have thought, you know, when they design them, and go, oh, look at these kits, they look so similar. Not a very good idea to take from the start. But it was an early strike from the former seven-star Quagga Smith for the Lions that got them into a good start. Great power, great acceleration. Of course, we know what the sevens man can do. He powered over close nicely to start for the Lions. They're lucky to survive later on, conceding their first three points to the Stormers. But quickly following that, they got back down their other end. And Warren Whiteley was chipping in for the back rows to give the Lions a 14-3 lead uh, over the Stormers. The Stormers kicked points, and that's all they really did in the first half. And at halftime, the score was uh, 14 points to 6 to the Lions. What I did find interesting was the kit change at halftime. The Stormers reverting back to their alternate kit, the standard alternate kit for the second half, which was much better, I had to say. Straight after the break, though, it didn't help them because they got a yellow card. Um, it did help them, though, on the fact that they actually played a lot better from that. They didn't concede any points, and they actually added three to their own tally and got up to 14 points to nine, and then they got more penalties. 
And then the Lions got some penalties. It was kickathon going through until the score went up to 17 points to 12. The Lions with a five-point lead. And who would thought it? A match like this going down to the bitter end. The Lions picked up a yellow card through Schoolman getting one from repeated scrum penalties. And 85 minutes, Herschel Yankees. No one knows who he is, but he scored probably the biggest try in the Stormers' last couple of seasons. The ball bobbles out of the back of a scrum. Five minutes out, he runs backwards. He does a wee pirouette. He runs behind the scrum. He splits the defence in half and bundles up against the sticks and scores. What a time to score the 85th minute. And with a kick right in front, you wouldn't put anything else but your house on it to go over. Full-time Stormers 19, Lions 17. Shock result. What a round of Super Rugby. Yeah, uh, look. Well, well done has to be given to the Stormers um, for bouncing back after that horrible week last week where, you know, the bulls roared um, pretty loudly. And I thought the Lions would as well. But uh, it turns out if you, uh, if you play rugby in the right way and do the right things, eventually... Uh, Slice of luck will come your way. And for young Yanchi's off off the back of the scrum, um, it, he's, it was his lucky day, wasn't it, getting over uh, under the post. And, you know, the Stormers can start their season now. They, they've got a... They had that horrid week. It's been forgotten. They've beaten the Lions, who have come second three years in a row. So... This is a grand finals type of side. Um, and, uh, you know, that will give them, hopefully, a little more conf- uh, confidence in their conference game. So good luck to them. And, and the Lions really probably should have gone on and won that. The big but thing for me is was the home ground advantage. Stormers have generally always been a better home ground team and they just don't travel, even in South Africa. And, well... There you go. Case in point right there. Terrible last week. And then turn around and beaten the, the um, finalists, uh, second place getters for years now. And bango, they're back on the game. They had to as well. Pressure was on them. They had derby games coming out the ears to start the season off. Then they had to buy. They couldn't go back after that buy without a win on the board. So they had to get something. And they've really pulled it out here against the Lions, which I think is a crucial win uh, for this season. But they need to learn to win away or else they are going to struggle. As we well, they got through the spider's net, didn't they? Just. <laughs> only just. Oh, we'll move on to our last confusing. game. It does. Last game. Last game of the round. Jaguares versus the Bulls. Goodness me. What were we all expecting from these South African games? I think they are the hardest to pick. The first 15 minutes, seeing the only real chance uh, go to Tukalet with a great break from Bonilla, but he couldn't catch it. He couldn't drop it. He couldn't, part, he couldn't catch it, and he couldn't put it down. That's what I'm trying to say. Dropping the ball as he went over the line. A real wasted chance for the Jaguars to get into the game early on. But only minutes later, it was Matthias Orlando who picks the ball up from a loose pass through the Bulls' back line from his own 22 and scampers a good 80 metres away to open up the scoring for the Jaguars. Poor defence from the Bulls, and I think that's what they can take for that first half. A low-scoring opening half, but the way the weather was in that game, you can probably understand why it was. Halftime was 7-3, the Jaguars with a slender lead going into the break. The Rangers got heavier as the game wore on. It did 
like for the first time this year, we've really seen the weather take a, a, a real um, effect on these matchups. Normally, it's been pretty dry so far, as it's still really summer. But um, the Bulls trickled their points in over the next 20 minutes. The penalties were their real go-to, and between the what the three before half time and after half time, the Bulls scored all their points. 12 points coming through the boot of Pollard, and um, that is how they gained the lead. 12-10 um, midway through the second half. But from that hour mark, it was all Haguaris. The game changed, and the Haguaris took over. The forwards definitely performed a lot better throughout the game. They got five-meter lineouts. They drove very well. More Haguaris-like. They scored a try through Bruni, giving it up to 17-12 lead. And I think that's where the game completely fell apart for the Bulls. It got scrappy. It got messy. People were fighting. They were, they were pushing each other over. It was, it was a real like old-school rugby league going on. And um, the Bulls were prone to eight, I think, too expansive in the rain. Players were falling over, uh, missing tackles all over the place. And the uh, one benefit for that was Delegui scoring the final try for the Jaguars to put the game away and to bed at that point. The conditions, I think, were the real winner on this game. The Bulls, wasteful, played probably the wrong style, given the way that uh, the weather was. And in the end, went down 27-12. The Jaguars picking up their opening win of the season. Well, I made two pots of coffee in the caravan because I was <laughs> excited at times with this one um, while still having the eyes on the television. Um, so, you know the old song, listen to the rhythm of the falling rain? Well, the Blues certainly needed to... <laughs> they needed... Sorry, the Bulls needed to do a little bit more. That They were scrappy, as you mentioned. It was not the greatest game I've ever watched. A lot of drop balls. Um, the Hawares forwards, particularly in the last half an hour, were brutal. Um, and you saw from about that 60-minute mark to about the 70-odd minute mark a rapid, um, a rapid improvement in their scoreline and really wrapping it up um, nice and early and and. Look, and getting the try bonus point, which is, you know, three very valuable points. And and the Bulls, well, you know, they, they've got a bit of work to do on the training paddock, particularly with their scrums. And then set pieces, there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's certainly a lot that they can take out of the game. But um, after round one to the second round, um the Hawaris did their homework on, on on the young fella Roscoe, who scored a couple of tries in against the Stormers, and he wasn't given the space to move. And Jesse Creel had an average game, I thought. So there's there's things that they've got to work on. And the Hawaris, well, they start their season now with a win after that um, first round loss. So. Um, the, you're right, the South African games are the ones that are hardest to pick. And uh, think... Sorry? And uh, bring on more of their conference games, I reckon, because I quite enjoy them. I think like we talked about with the Stormers, home advantage, massive Stormers, Bulls, those teams, they need every little piece of advantage they can get from their home crowd, and that's where they missed um, in that game. Haguaris, though, put forwards you talked about a little bit. Much more impressive of that. Uh, their line-out worked really well. Their scrum was actually going forward. They were getting involved. I think that suited the weather conditions. I think last week they were probably trying to play that expansive game, given the dry conditions. This one, they were kind of forced their hand to play the four-dominating game, and, and that worked well for them. Uh, the Bulls missed 23 tackles, a huge amount. 
Uh, their defence was, was average, uh, pretty poor. And if anything, they tried to play what the Hagwires said last week and tried to give you know the success of the guys like Speckman and Creole last week. They needed to um, try to do that again. That wasn't the game plan to play in that sort of weather conditions. And not good enough for the Bulls. Um, and they've got plenty to, to work on. Hopefully for them, more wins at home is what they've got to hope for in future rounds. But that is us for round two. Thanks for all joining us. Paul, you got any final words to say before we wrap up the round two preview, which I must say has been timed perfectly. Thank you very much, boys. <laughs> um, as always, don't forget to subscribe up there. And then obviously we'll have um, Steve and Shane back next um, Monday for the to wrap up round three. Down there is how you can support the, uh, the, the, the channel and help me bring you all this content for free. And over there are two wonderful videos that the YouTube artificial intelligence says you can absolutely adore. So click on those two. Oh, I'm back tomorrow with Hashobi Chat at 8pm. 8 Join me then. Mm.